Our nonprofit offers parenting classes for free to low-income single moms. Recently, we started exploring other ways to earn money, and one of our board members suggested charging a fee for this service for those families who can more easily afford our services. Can we charge a fee for this service, and if we do, will we get taxed for this? So the short answer is yes, you can. Um, you know, re- revenue-generating activities can be critical components for uh, nonprofits to sustain themselves, although I will say this, oftentimes board members in particular – Love you, board members, if you're listening, but um, have this tendency of they think, oh, let's just, yeah, add this business component, this, you know, fee component, something that's kind of this earned income piece, which while it's great, that doesn't just happen overnight. And there's all sorts of other resources, investment, marketing, promotion that has to happen to make that work. So that's a whole other probably social enterprise topic. But, um, you know, the short answer is yes. Now, the key is, is that um, the law, so the law sets no limits on the fees you charge, but at the end of the day, if those fees aren't related, if you're not offering sort of service-based, um, you know, programs or, or something that is in line with your mission or your programs, then it would be probably subject to unrelated business income tax, your, you know, CPAs, and Andy, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but could certainly jump in and say, hey, that's not really related. That was something totally random that you're doing that isn't tied to your mission at all. And great, you're earning some money from it. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, that's, you're going to get charged some income, you know, business income tax. So you need to really, I think, balance that out a little bit and do come up with a business plan for this kind of thing, right? It's not just an idea you say, yes, let's just randomly start charging fees. I mean, prioritize your objectives and charging the fee. Why? And is this the best way? If, if you know, is that the best way to actually accomplish this? Is there a market for this? Is there anybody who would even want that? And to me, it starts with thinking a little bit about this from a business plan perspective like you would anything. Yeah. That, so, yeah, Stacy's exactly right. I, the unrelated business income tax piece of it gets a little bit complicated. In this case, um, I think the risk is that you're you're providing a service for um, low-income families to have childcare, which is awesome. Um, at some point, if you start charging a fee, you you cross the line into regular old for-profit daycare, um, which which could also be a nonprofit because you might have the educational component attached to it too. So. From an unrelated business income tax perspective, I think you've got enough, there are enough like, like off-ramps on that that you might not ever have a problem with unrelated business income tax. You might not have to pay it. But it's complicated enough that you would you definitely want to talk to an attorney that knows how that works or an, an accountant that knows how that works so that they can advise you on that very specific circumstance. Uh, as, far as, as far as being able to charge fee for services, yeah, absolutely. It happens all the yeah. time. So if you go to a performing arts center, you don't get to go see Hamilton for free, right? <laughs> right? That's 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 not what it is. So they're they're doing something a little bit different. Um, so so charging a fee for services is a totally legitimate thing, and I think probably all nonprofits either do it or should be doing it if they're not thinking about absolutely. it. Um, there's there's lots of ways that you can serve your mission without having to make everything totally free all the time. Absolutely. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. At this point, some of the longtime listeners will be thinking, that sounded familiar. And that's because it is familiar. We are doing an episode today where we're taking some 
uh, of the questions from previous episodes over the last 60 that we've recorded, and uh, we're going to rerun those for you. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with brand new, fresh material. But in the meantime, please enjoy this uh, bonus episode of previously aired Nonprofit Everything. Thanks a lot. This episode of Nonprofit Everything is sponsored by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits Job Board, your one-stop shop for the next step in your career. Searching job listings is totally free, and AN members receive a big discount when posting new jobs. There are dozens of nonprofit jobs available right here in Nevada, and there are out-of-state jobs too. Find it by going to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits webpage and clicking the Job Board button, or access it directly at jobs.alliancefornevadanonprofits.com, or find the link in the Nonprofit Everything show notes. All right, Andy, love your thoughts on this one. Our calendar for fiscal year 1819 was set before I was hired. It includes numerous client activities that we cannot support financially, not without our program suffering. I want to cancel the activities, i.e. expenses, for the remainder of the year. Any advice on how to go about this when the board chair, who is very hands-on, created the activities in the first place and the related budget items? Okay. So it sounds like, it sounds like there are two challenges here. Um, the first one sounds like there's not a strategic plan that explains what you're supposed to be doing. You may have a mission and it sounds like the board chair is just kind of running with it, um, without really involving staff, um, but not being really clear about what you're supposed to be doing. So what those core program items are. Right. Um, so, you know, first piece is make sure you get it. I mean, this is a good time too, especially with an ED transition. That's a really good time to start that strategic planning process over again, because the, the one that the prior ED did, um, there's a good chance that you're not, you're not going to agree with some of it. That's why you're the new ED and there's not a, the old ED is not here anymore is because there needs to be a new change in direction maybe. So, um, that would probably be the first thing I would do. The second thing is you probably need to start clarifying the roles for (laughs) the difference between the board member, right? The board member (laughs) and the staff, um, because if the board chair is really hands-on, like that's never, ever a good, you never want to have no. those two words next to each other, board chair and hands-on, Ugh. those phrases are incompatible. No. Um, unless, unless you have no staff and the board has to do right, everything, but that's, right. a, that's not the case that you're in here. Um, so getting that transition, man, there's so much um, work that needs to be done in the sector. Getting those baby organizations that are very board directed, not a whole lot of staff and transitioning them away. Like I call it the adolescence. If they can get through adolescence, you're in good shape um, to where the staff is driving everything and the board is there to do what the board is supposed to do, which is set the strategic direction, make sure that the organization is sticking, staying true to its mission, making sure that it's doing the good, right things for the community. Cause the board then is like the proxy for everyone else. It's their job to like look at the organization from an external perspective. So if they're inside, they can't do that. They have to be outside. Well, and sometimes the board at one stage of an organization isn't the same board for the other stage, right? And I, you see that all the time. Sometimes you get a board that's really that startup founding board, and that's all well and good. But they actually like to be getting their hands dirty and kind of doing some of the actual operations of a nonprofit because there isn't staff. And right. great, there's plenty of opportunities to do that out there, but maybe they're not the ones for the next stage. So I know that that's a little premature for this. Perhaps this board chair was just literally stepping in because they didn't have an executive director and they, and the board chair was trying to, you know, was well-intentioned, who knows, but there seems like some room for resetting boundaries and expectations. Um, and I'm thinking for the strategic planning process, because you don't want to just take this list that 
the board chair came up with that probably the rest of the board members nodded and just approved, right? And rubber stamped. You don't want to just take this list and say, these all suck, right? All of your (laughs) ideas and activities suck, and here's why, because they're resource depleting. Um, But instead, how do you get the board to start thinking strategically about how they make these decisions? So almost doing that that impact and resource analysis, how many resources, how much time, money is this activity going to take, and then laying it out on grid compared to how much impact something like this would have on the organization and its mission. And once you start to map things out, it really becomes clear what quadrant they're in. I wish, you know, I'm sort of thinking of a visual where you actually, you know, end up with sort of a, a, a lot of dots on a chart that make you realize, okay, these things that are low impact and have high resources need to just automatically be removed, right? And then the things that have the higher impact and lower resources, great leverage tools. So why don't we keep those? So perhaps not all of these activities are going to be bad ones, but you've got to go through that process and you can't do it alone because the new board will hate you. Okay, Stacy. our organization is almost five years old. Raising money and trying to deliver services and build a board and everything else is such hard work, a greater load than I ever imagined. We've struggled every step of the way. I'm the only staff. My board is very small and inexperienced. I'm thinking of looking into merging with an established org. Thoughts? My passion for this work is pretty much gone at this point. Oh, well, that makes me feel sort of sad, but yet I think that's um, very real and vulnerable, and I think a lot of people have been in your shoes, so you're not alone if that helps at all. Um, you know, I guess my sort of larger question is, is this really about, are you the only one losing that passion, or is sort of everything limping along and struggling? Um, because, you know, the first five years of a startup of any organization is the hardest, and so my thought is, is you're, you're getting there, you're on the home stretch. So I'd hate to see all the work you've put in now just go away because you feel like you're, you're kind of reaching that burnout point. Um, so my thought is, is, you know, is it time for a vacation? Cause I know that a lot of us in the sector, like, you know, don't ever actually take time off. Um, is it time perhaps to find some other volunteers or people who, you know, might be able to help you or, or sort of. Um, you know, board members who can be a little more active um, and engaged to help you because it, it can feel lonely. And I guess what I'm hearing here is more of a personal burnout. I didn't hear that the whole organization, you know, the other, the board and stuff is feeling that way too. So it's not necessarily a uniform decision, um, but it is more of kind of a sort of a personal reflection period is, 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 you know, a recharge, like a vacation without help. I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, that's, that's a it's a tough position to be in. I, it's hard to I, for me at least. It's hard to answer the question just based on on what you provided because there's an underlying cause and the, there and we need to figure out what the underlying cause is before you can address it. So one of the things you mentioned that could be that that's in there is that there's a small board. So maybe your board is too small. Maybe there just aren't enough people to help carry the weight. Because if it's a one-person organization, there's a there's an executive director and then there's a board. That executive director is responsible for everything, and they need assistance. Um, and and getting over that hump of getting enough money to hire somebody to do that it t- takes a really long time. Um, the your passion for the organization was sort of how you phrased the question too. Is like my passion for the organization is starting to wane. Um, that's interesting because I if you're the executive director, you should be getting paid for that work. 
And it should be the board's passion for the organization. So they should be the ones who are responsible for making sure that it's continuing. And it's a board's decision to let the, the organization thrive or go away or merge with another organization. I, I, you know, I take a vacation. I think that's yeah. absolutely yeah. The, the, the right answer for number one, just to kind of clear your head and figure out, you know, is this, is this what you want to be when you grow up? Um, because nonprofits are super hard and, and running one, a baby one by yourself with no assistance is practically impossible. It is. And I also think that um, just, you know, when you hear people who've just started nonprofits and, you know, are in the early stages like you are, many of them say, this is much harder than I thought. So if, you know, you go back and have a discussion with your board at some point or they're feeling similar and um, perhaps you make that decision, um, you know, there's a lot of other due diligence that has to be done. That's probably a whole other podcast question right around acquisitions and what you do to sort of you know mergers and acquisitions and how that works in the nonprofit sector but I feel like the first yeah the first kind of step like Andy was saying was sort of trying to figure out a bit about you know where are you at sort of your personal um kind of your personal place in all of this and and yeah maybe a vacation can help provide you some perspective and uh, hopefully you can get through this I know it's tough so maybe one thing that, that, that you could do is look at you know, a, a really successful organization. The thing that makes an organization really successful is that the, the mission is so important that people can't help fund it. They, they have to fund it because they see this is exactly what we need in this space at this time. So, so maybe the mission isn't defined well enough for you to be able to collect new board members. You know, if, if your organization is doing something really spectacular and if you've got a good idea and the need is really strong – it shouldn't be that hard to convince new people to come on board, especially board members. It shouldn't be hard to convince funders. So if you're – maybe you're doing something – you know, if you're talking about merging with another organization, maybe you're doing something that's truly duplicative and you're not doing it in a way that's different enough that it needs to exist on its own. So, so there, you know, there are other things that you could look at. I also think perhaps you need to go back to think about what was the original passion that got you involved and had you want to, you know, made you want to step into that executive director role. What was it that lit your fire with that? Because my guess is and my sense is when people's passion starts to wane, it's often because they've lost touch with that original purpose that got them there. So for example, you can get so bogged down, right, with managing a board or paperwork or all the stuff that comes with being a, you know, a nonprofit ED that you don't actually go out in the field and get to always, you know, see everything you want to see. Now, because you're an only, you're a solo ED, I'm guessing you're still doing that, but perhaps there's a way to just get more in touch with what it was that originally lit your fire. Um, because that can sometimes help cure all of this in a second. You know, you have a couple of weeks of a lot of paperwork or you're doing, you know, your 990 or whatever it is that just is the part that maybe you're not crazy about doing. And how can you pepper in some of that stuff that really is what makes your heart sing a bit? Oh, yeah, I bet that's really good advice. I had an executive director that um, back when I was in the museum world, um, he would say, like, you're required at least at least once a week to just go visit the museum. Just go wander around like you're a tourist and look at what everybody else is looking at and get a sense of why this exists. Um, and it is. It's really recharging. If, if that's what you're passionate about, being able to just go and, and experience it and not think about, you know, this is what I'm worrying about today and experience it the way somebody who doesn't have any knowledge of anything experiences it, 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 it is a little bit recharging. And I would reconnect with you. So reconnect with your why. And there's a great Simon Sinek video that if you just literally Google Simon Sinek, the why. Literally, he does a, a nice little, um, you know, it's a TED Talk or whatever it was. You can find it on YouTube. Just a great 
talk about how we can get stuck in the, the muck of the what and the how, and we forget about the why. So that's another thing that maybe that could provide some inspiration for you. Definitely. And check out the show notes. We'll put a link to anything we talk about. There'll be a link in the show notes so you could just click right away. We have an ongoing debate among our finance director, executive director, and board about how much cash a nonprofit should have in reserve. Is there a right amount? What is best practice? There is absolutely a right amount. And the right amount is the amount of money that makes you not have to worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't keep you up at night. <laughs> it doesn't keep you up at night. And obviously, we know that boards are really conservative. And so your board, I'm going to guess the way this works is the finance director is going for a low number. The executive director doesn't have an opinion, but they want the board to be happy. And the board wants a really high number. That's my guess of how those three, <laughs> those three people have in that conversation. So, so there is a right answer, and it just involves using Excel. So what you want to do is you want to do a cash flow projection where you look at all of the money that's going out over the course of a year, all of the money that comes in over the course of a year. You're going to forecast that. You're going to see when it comes out, when it goes out, and make sure that that number never drops below zero. And that's the amount of money that you're going to have in your cash reserve is to make sure that that number never goes below zero. Now, some people are going to be totally uncomfortable with zero because zero is really close to yes. the negative one, right? Yes. You never want to be in the red mm -hmm. at all. So they're going to want to have some sort of buffer in place. And there are lots of interesting things you can do, um, lots and lots of interesting things you can do to sort of create a buffer without actually having to just have a chunk of money sitting in the bank doing nothing. So, so you can have some money invested. You might think about having the board designate something to be a, a, a board-designated restriction that you keep there in the unlikely event that you need it. You can talk to your bank about getting a, a line of credit that you can access uh, so that occasionally when you dip below zero, you can actually hit the bank for the line of credit. You only, get, you only pay interest on it while you've had it taken out. You pay it back. Um, you can, you can factor your accounts receivable. There's all kinds of fun stuff mm. that you can do. Um, but the, the trick, the key is really putting that cash flow statement together and be really serious about it and saying that this is where the money goes out, this is where the money comes in, and this is what the difference is. I've never seen somebody get so excited and whose eyes get so big and lit up about cash flow statements. So if you all could just see Andy right now, it's pretty cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an easy answer. I mean, I love that there's an ongoing debate about it. But, I mean, okay, so whoever wrote this question, I'm guessing it wasn't the finance director. And if it was the finance director, um, I got your back because you're, you have the right answer, finance director, which is look at my stupid cash flow. <laughs> look at my cash flow projection. This is the answer. So if, if your executive director and your board person doesn't believe it, just point them to this podcast episode. And if they have a problem, they can come to my house and we'll talk about it. There. Boy, they'll arm wrestle. <laughs> we could, no, I'm not, I'm not arm wrestle. <laughs> We'll have an Excel. We'll have an Excel spreadsheet. Mind <laughs> Something. <laughs> I do think one one thing to add from the non finance expert or not non finance person. Uh, I also think an operating reserve policy makes sense. And Andy, I want you to push back if you totally are against these. But I think what happens is you hear so many times people have this great idea of the rainy day fund or the reserve fund in case some unexpected expense or something comes up, right? Smart idea. I know I do it in my personal life. Probably should be doing, everyone should be doing that in business and nonprofit as well. Uh, so at the end of the day, though, under what circumstances does, you know, money get taken from that reserve? And do you ever go to a certain 
amount do you sort of say we are always going to like it's got to be like an, a natural disaster crisis before we dip below a certain level um and while it's in the reserve as you said what happens with it is it just sitting there as cash or is there an opportunity for that money to make money for you in some way and different boards will have different risk tolerance but i do think having at least a dialogue if there's a, a debate going on already it probably means that there's a lot of pieces and parts to this um, that are coming out. So perhaps having a conversation about it, even setting sort of, maybe it's not even a formal policy, but some guidelines around, here's what we're going to work toward with an operating reserve. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a little snide about it, but I'm, I'm really imagining the perfect world where you can accurately forecast, I mean, reasonably well forecast, see where the money's going to come in and where it's going to go out. Out is a lot easier than in, yeah. obviously. Um, but but in most cases, so say your organization wants to expand, you've got a grant, there's like an 85% chance you're going to get that grant, um, and it's a big dollar amount, um, And but you need to start spending money before the grant comes in to be prepared for it because grants are like that, right? Sometimes you get the mm. money and have to, you get it after it's already been oh, spent. Yeah. So if there's any risk for those kinds of things, then absolutely you want to have something that like, you know, in that 15% chance that that's going to happen, what do we do? Right. So that all has to be factored into it. And rainy day funds are great for that kind of thing. Like if you have just a really stellar year, um, a lot of times. So I talked to a lot of organizations that are really interested in building an endowment because um, I think from the board's perspective, that feels like they take it takes the pressure off of fundraising, mm-hmm. which for many boards is uncomfortable, as we mm-hmm. said earlier. Right. Um, and so they, they imagine this endowment is like this just massive pool of money that they don't ever have to fundraise again. They'll just spend the interest and dividends and capital gains off of it. Right. Um, and so they always want to fundraise. I've had organizations that want to fundraise for an endowment. Yes. I've had some very smart, very smart board members who are like, absolutely, we absolutely need to fundraise for an endowment, um, which, you know, for, from my perspective, it's like, well, you know, honestly, I'd like to raise money for what we're going to do now and not raise money for what we're going to do in 10 years because an endowment is something that you invest. And then, yes. you, you, you know, if you can't have a short-term Investment, short-term investments don't pay that well. They're entirely too risky. And if your tr- your whole point of you doing this is to avoid risk, you're just complicating. The, you're just basically making the finance person's hair go gray way faster. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, so there is something to be said for a rainy day fund. If you get a bequest, those are great. That's a great time to like, hey, it's free money. What are we going to do with it? Maybe we should salt this away so that we don't have to, you know, so that for a rainy day fund or put in an endowment or something like that. Um, but for the money that you're raising day in, day out, I mean – you're supposed to be doing your mission, right? Well, you bring up a really good point. So I actually did some work with an organization that had so much in reserves. I mean, I think they had about two years worth of reserves that, and it wasn't in an endowment. It wasn't invested long term. It was in cash, which killed me because I'm like, at least put it in a money market. But whatever, that was me just saying, make some, yeah, I don't care if you make pennies off it. Just do Do something. something. CDs, (laughs) I don't care, bonds, whatever. Anyways, but um, at the end of the day, they actually had a donor who, when the donor started to look at their financials, said, why are you holding on to this money? Is there like a big expense down the way? Is there something you're saving for? And they didn't have an answer to it. It was just they wanted to be that cushion, have such a big cushion and that conservative. At the end of the day, the donor said, you don't really need my money then because at the end, it, because what what are you doing with this? There's a huge need you're not serving right now because you are – being so careful and, and sort of stingy with the money instead of actually meeting that need. Now, 
smart, being smart about money is one thing, but actually sort of hoarding it is a whole other issue. And so I think there is a fine line with some of this. Yeah. So I would, I would propose that that organization did not have a cash flow projection. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't. Yeah. So if you have a cash flow projection, then that gives you evidence of what kind of cushion you're going to need to hold. And, and then you can say, this is why we need this money salted away. Um, if you don't have a cash flow projection, then you're just like, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to stick it, it all in the mattress. <laughs> I believe that was the mentality. I am a new ED and inherited a big budget deficit. <laughs> Congratulations. Sorry. I made up some ground by increasing our end of year by 42% over the previous year. I've been working with a terrific fundraising consultant for many months now, and we are going after grants, individual donors, et cetera, which I feel really good about. The issue is, is that this will take time and I'm very worried about cash flow in the meantime. Any suggestions for how to create a financial bridge? I have an engaged board. A boost of fifty to seventy-five thousand would do the trick. Well, first of all, kudos to you for um, making up some ground because, yeah, yeah, it sounds like you're well on the way to getting there. So, very cool. Um, So, I think this is a really unique opportunity if you have some funders or longtime supporters who believe in you, and perhaps they even knew about your budget deficit or knew about some of your challenges, it's a great opportunity to share sort of how far you've come and how close you are to getting out of that deficit. So I think it's an opportunity to actually have them kind of be the hero, come in with their their cape and save the day for you. Um, and, and some, if they're a long-term funder, someone you've got a long-term relationship with, occasionally they'll say, yeah, we'll help get you there. Or we'll help get you halfway there. Or yeah, we're willing to sort of, you know, do this. So I think that's one thing um, you can do. I also think uh, sometimes this is a great way for board members to all step in and each give something. I This is super unorthodox and I'd love to know what you think about it, Andy, but I've seen organizations come up and you got to do it the right way, but have actually looked at creating a sort of working with boards on sort of a loan arrangement to cover um, until, you know, to kind of cover things until you get the cash flow up and running. I I, I can see so there's so many like pitfalls with that. And yet I've seen some organizations do it and do it successfully. What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I've I've seen that too. Um, The, the tricky piece about that is that you need to make sure that you're keeping it all sort of because you're, you're immediately entering into a transaction that might be a conflict of interest, right? Because yes. you're, you're loaning money from the board to the organization, which means there's interest involved. Somebody's going to be paid back for it. So it's, it's 100% a conflict of interest transaction, yes. which means you need to go through the entire conflict of interest process, which says, is this, you know, is the interest rate fair? Am right. I getting a deal from the, from the board member just to make sure, you know, it needs to be voted on with that person not in the room. Like you have to do all of that stuff to make sure that you're above board. So yeah. it's possible. It's just like, it's a little bit extra work. I think, I think you're on the right track with a loan though, because yeah. there, there are two ways that most organizations, even for-profit organizations manage that kind of, if you're, if you have 50, need 50 to $75,000 to kind of get you through a period because you have cash flow challenges, you're looking at a line of credit yeah. from a bank. And, and if you've got a long-term relationship or even not even a long-term relationship with a the bank, they're willing to give you a line of credit uh, that, you know, they need to look at a bunch of information and it takes, you can't get it immediately. It's not like 
you can't just right. walk in and walk out with a check. Right. Uh, but but they can give you, you know, they can say, you know, if you need between 50 and 75, we can give you a line of credit of up to $100,000 and you borrow against that. You end up paying interest on it and you end up paying it back. But that's a, a lot of organizations have lines of credits with banks. If they don't, they should. The other piece that you can look at, and you said reaching out to a long-term funding partner, is program-related investments. Yes. So some, they, sometimes they call them PRIs. Um, what a program-related investment is, is when a, 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 a funder, a lot of times it's a foundation, uh, will basically give you a loan. And they don't have to give you a loan at a low interest rate. They can give you a loan at whatever the prevailing interest rate is. And and you can you can pay it back to them. And a lot of times they'll either forgive the loan because most foundations, you know, they've got that corpus of money and it's invested in stuff anyway. Right. So investing it with you, if they trust you, they can always create a loan. They can get 5% interest and that's probably better that they're making in, in other markets too. So it's actually a, a smart investment decision for them and they can get you over the hump. And, and it's and kind it's, of a win-win for both yeah, parties. Yeah, it's not a hard conversation yeah. to, to have. I don't, I don't haven't seen it quite as often as I think I should have. I it agree. feels like it's something that should exist more. Yes. Um, so there may be a roadblock that I'm not aware of. Uh, it could be an interesting question to ask somebody else. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I, I'm wondering, I've definitely read about PRIs, but I haven't, um, I feel like that's happened more on a national level and you hear it more with really significantly large foundations, you know, Gates Foundation or, you know, some of the ones that we all know and have heard of. And I don't I, like I'm curious to know, does is that happening in Nevada? Yeah. The, so when when I was at Three Square, the Hilton Foundation did a, a PRI. They did. OK. Yeah, they, gave, they did a program related investment for I think it was one of the building. I can't remember. Like this could be completely wrong, but I think it was for one of the building purchases. It was a chunk of okay. money for the building purchase. And there was an interest rate involved and we were paying them and then they forgave it. So it got to the point where we're starting to pay it back. And then they said, OK, you can just keep it. It's oh, a grant. They great. converted it to a grant. So so that was the I think that's the best kind of PRI Ooh, yes. from a nonprofit perspective. Yes. Um, but that did start as a PRI. Myself and the other co-founders have some time constraints that are hindering our nonprofit focus. I wanted to see if there was an alternative to winding down. Is it possible to pause a nonprofit for some period of time? If so, could we skip board meetings, annual reports, et cetera, until we resumed? Technically, no. So there's no way to pause anything. Um, if you don't do your paperwork, so if you don't file with the Secretary of State, if you don't get your business license, if you don't file a 990 or a 990N with the IRS, um, after a certain period of time, like three years after three years, you just have to start all over again when you, they don't, they don't, they don't tell you you can just start it up with the same number. You have to go through the entire process and start everything over again. Um, that said, um, your bylaws are the, what sort of describes the kinds of things that your organization needs to do. So if you're having monthly board meetings right now, that's because you decided to have monthly board meetings. It has nothing to do with what, what any regulatory body is telling you you're required to do. So you can you know, keep everything above board, make sure everything is kosher, have one board meeting a year if you want to, just make sure that that's what your bylaws say. Make sure you fill out the Secretary of State stuff. Make sure you file the 990N every year. It's going to have zeros on it. So it's going to take you 15 seconds. Um, and, and then you're, you're keeping everything current and ready to go. And when you guys are finally, you know, you have the attention back or you find this magic funding source or something to make <laughs> everything start again, then, yeah, you can just pick up where you left off. 
but yeah, there's no, unicorn. Yeah, yeah, there's no pause, unfortunately. Well, and I also think there's something to be said about, you know, it's interesting because this question talks about we have some time constraints. So is there a way to engage other people perhaps, right? Like maybe there's an opportunity to engage others that are passionate about this mission that don't have as many time constraints or if you do have money that you could even hire someone in a small level to help keep it moving forward. Cause I think what's sad about this is even if they were to cut back, like you said, and do one meeting a year or whatever, you know, do some of the bare bones basics, you lose a ton of momentum, right? And it is going to be hard. If you have time constraints now, that's just going to get harder the more this organization grows. So I think there's a little bit of kind of a, you know, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. Are we all committed enough to this? Or is it every time our schedules get busy, we're going to be like, all right, yeah, we got to go on, you know, go on a pause or do the bare minimum. I mean, it just, that, that's not sustainable and that's yeah. not healthy for anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, and, and I've noticed with, with very small nonprofits that don't have any staff, um, if you have just the bare minimum number of board members, and nobody's the impetus. Like usually, what what happens is one of the one of the three people is like super into it and does everything, and yeah. then burns out because they're not yeah. getting any help. Absolutely right. So so you know I don't know where that that question is coming from, but I think your point is really good. That if you can't, if you're if you're too busy to do it, like why are you even bothering? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Just, just fold it up and like ten years from now, if you feel like you've got that urge to do it again, go find another organization that's doing similar work and help them or get a fiscal sponsor, or, yes. you know, there's plenty of other ways to do it that don't involve paperwork, really. I was actually, it's funny, it, you mentioned fiscal sponsor, and that's what was going in my head, thinking this is a great opportunity, and I think, or I, I would love more people to maybe try out a nonprofit first through a fiscal sponsorship, right? So, like, you know, to sit there and say, okay, I don't have to deal with, I'm going to pay somebody a fee to deal with all of the admin and stuff I don't want to do, and the, the accounting, and all the stuff I don't want to do for this. Um, give me that, you know, the legal umbrella to do this. But it allows you a little more flexibility than I think it does when when you've gone out and done the whole ball of wax and have your own 501c3. I think this just makes it – I think you have almost a moral obligation to you either are serious about it or you're not. Yeah. It reminds me of what Bob said a couple of weeks ago, which was, you know, people come into him and they've like, I've already hired my attorney and I've got yeah. the 1023 done. And Bob's like, that's not where you start. And I, I think that's – I mean, maybe it's too inexpensive to start the nine nine to start the ten twenty three and to get your five hundred one c three. The fact that they made an easy version that you can do really fast made yeah. it so a lot of people kind of just jump in with both feet, um, not realizing it that it's going to be complicated and, and take a lot of work. Um, I don't know. I think the fiscal sponsor. I think the resistance on fiscal sponsorship is number one. People don't know about it. People of don't course. know that that's an option. They just figure I'm going to start a nonprofit, and then they Google nonprofit. How do I start a nonprofit? Right, right? and then then they go. Um, <laughs> so the first answer should be don't. Yes, like maybe <laughs> consider a fiscal sponsorship. Absolutely. Like, um, to get your to get your feet wet, make sure you understand how everything works, and then kind of get a you know better experience in the marketplace. Um, I think the other challenge is that there's not a whole lot of um, there's not a penalty for failure. In a nonprofit. So if you start it, you spend a little bit of money, you get the board together, and then you just kind of go, yeah, that was harder than we thought it was, and it just kind of blows away. Whereas if you're starting a business or there's something where you've got a bunch of cash involved, that's like the, you know, I don't want to lose money, so I'm going to keep working Absolutely. on it. You know, I'm going to have to get an actual job if this isn't going to work out. Um, fiscal sponsorship, because a lot of times that takes money up front, that might be one of the barriers is because, you know, if you talk to somebody that's going to be a fiscal sponsor for you and they're going to say, yeah, we can do that for you. But it's going to cost this amount of money right. for us to do the accounting and things like that. 
I think that's another barrier. It's like actually cheaper to get a 1023 done. It is, sadly. Um, and, you know, I don't think people like to lose the control. And we know a fiscal sponsorship, depending on, you know, I, I mean, oftentimes you're saying, okay, I get to advise or I get to, depending on the arrangement, right, I get to recommend that these are the things we do. But if you're using someone else's 501c3 and they're your fiscal sponsor, you're it, people don't want to lose that control. Yeah, and, and a, a good fiscal sponsor will make you do things you don't necessarily Absolutely. want to do. They'll make you keep track of stuff that you had no intention of keeping track of because it's their 501c3 on the line and not yours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a tougher sell, but it's a good option. I agree. Our mission and work is heavy. On a daily basis, our team deals with serious and somber topics. We have had a few staff members resign the last several months, and I heard from other staff that they left because they were burned out and just had no more to give. I am concerned this feeling of burnout is going to continue if I don't figure out a solution. Do you have any ideas about no or low-cost things that our organization can do to help them deal with the stress and make the work environment better? That is a tough position to be in. Um, One of the only benefits of working for a nonprofit is that the work should be uplifting, Um, that you get the feeling, you know, we call it the psychic capital, that you actually get the feeling once you go to work that, you know, at the end of the day, you feel like you did a good thing. Yeah. Um, You're saving the world, right? The the, the coolest thing in the world is you're you're wearing a logo t-shirt from your organization at the supermarket and the checker says, hey, you work for that place? I love that place. They're so awesome. We volunteered out there and they do such good work. And that's like, that's like, you're high for like a week after that exactly. because you just like some random person just told you yeah, how hopefully awesome they're you saying that and right. uh, you suck and we, I had a horrible volunteer experience with yeah, you. But I don't think that's the case in this question. <laughs> Sorry, worst case scenario, my yeah, brain just case, went there. Yeah, yeah, don't work at that place. Yeah. If they just quit because that's not good. So I mean, because you need to have that. That's important to have um, that sort of psychic capital to help you go to work every day because let's be honest, you're working in nonprofits. If it's a drag and you're not having fun, you can make way more money just going into the for-profit sector and just like not caring, <laughs> right? And then you don't have to deal with it at all. Right. So, so in this case, you know, in, there are organizations in which the mission is really tough on you all the time. I think you need to absolutely take that into consideration when you're constructing staff and make sure that, you know, you say you want a no or low cost solution. There might not be a no or low cost solution that might have to be baked into your mission is making sure that you don't lose employees nonstop because they just like they go home and feel crushed at the end of the day because it was such a hard thing to do. Well, and having that like you know, making that part of when you're doing your interviewing and even just sort of seeing who's the right fit. Some people are better at disconnecting that. I, I, I can speak from experience. I'm very empathic and empathetic and I am an empath. And so I very much carry that with me. So someone like me probably would really suck in a position like that, right? Because I would carry it with me. Um, and you hear about this whole concept of compassion fatigue in the nonprofit sector, those who are always, you know, whatever it is, whatever heavy issue you're dealing with. Um, I do think there's some sort of little, um, it, it's not a solution to it. It's sort of more of a band-aid, but it's things that maybe can help a little bit. I think creating a culture where you try to inter- interject some kind of reprieve. So whether that's like, okay, like 
you've been at your desk too long or you've been dealing with this kind of social, doing your social work or your counseling work or whatever it is you're doing to like with somebody, take a break, go for a 20 minute walk outside, like in nature, right? Um, you know, sort of someone like the manager or whomever of that person sort of trying to get people to take care of themselves in it because it's easy. You get engrossed when you're that employee and you're just kind of driven to continue helping and serving. And at the end of the day, you're not taking the breaks you need just for your mental kind of refresh. Um, I've seen organizations bring in um, one organization I know actually brought in like therapy dogs for their staff, like just to sort of be like, oh, look, you know, this Friday we're going to have so-and-so from the shelter who's going to be here to just, or whatever, this therapy dog who's going to be like hanging out with us in the office in the afternoon. So something to kind of lighten that up. Um, I've also seen... I don't actually, I, I saw this in the for-profit sector, but I was thinking it would be interesting to do this in the nonprofit sector as well. So you go to events that you see these like massage, oh, look, you know, you get like, you know, bid on this for our silent auction. It's a yoga instructor or a massage or whatever it is. Like maybe instead of using those items at your event, which oftentimes don't raise much money anyways, like maybe you talk to the person who's willing to donate and say, hey, can you come in once a month on a Friday and just spend like for two hours in the afternoon on Friday and like do a a yoga session and maybe it's not two hours, right? No one's got two hours, but, or do like, we can have 20 minute little mini massages for anyone on staff who wants them and it's available to them all Friday afternoon. I think stuff like that shows at least that you care, Yeah. right? I think, I mean, you're right. You need to, in your budget, you need to make sure that your board understands that you need to bake in some self-care for your employees, whether yeah. it's, whether it's time off, it could be paid time off. Like True. this job is hard and we're going to lose people like crazy. And the one thing we need to do is we need to give people two extra weeks of vacation a year, or we need to give them every other Friday off or something like that, just because it's too hard. Um, and the other thing is like to actually talk to some medical providers too, because if you're losing people because the job that they're doing is just soul crushing, Ugh. you need to make sure that they're not, you know, you're just not causing them permanent damage by working there Good point. and making sure that you've got like an actual like clinical psychologist or somebody that has some letters after her name who can actually come in and help people manage that yes. and be able to compartmentalize it. Um, if, you know, cause I can, at the end of the day, you you're doing a good thing. Like everything right. in your, the reason your organization, I don't know what it is, but the reason your organization exists is because you are solving a problem. You're making the world a better place and getting people to get that and sort of compartmentalize that, you know, sometimes people can't be helped. Sometimes you can do everything in the world to help somebody and they don't want to accept your help or it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to put that in a different box than, you know, I need to get my work done today. Oh my God, I've got like 700 emails and all I want to do is cry. Exactly. That's, that's not, that's not no. going to be good for anybody in your employee, in your employee. So you need to make sure that you've got that baked into your organization. And you, your employees might have some ideas around this too. So I'm thinking what a kind of cool thing that would be to at a staff meeting, talk about your concern about this topic Mm -hmm. and say, listen, we don't have the budget. So we're looking for kind of really low cost or no cost ideas, any ideas and brainstorm or like assign. Okay. This week, Andy, you're in charge of sort of our fun moment in, or our like something, you know, our escape moment, right. For the organization. And I mean, that could get a little crazy if people don't do it the right way, right? But, but hopefully, like, I just think, God, maybe have staff be part of the solution with you. Wow, there were some really loud parts and really quiet parts in that, weren't there? <laughs> Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you uh, joining us for this episode of Nonprofit Everything. Um, Again, we'll be back with a brand new, fresh episode in a couple of weeks. 
Now, in the meantime, if you have any questions, uh, there's anything on your mind, there's something you want to us, us to address, please go ahead and shoot us those questions. You can go to the Nonprofit Everything website and you can type us your question there or you can hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much any place you can contact us. You can track us down, stalk us, whatever you want to do. Um, we are The only way this works is that we get your questions so that we can answer them. So we really appreciate you taking the time to do that for us. And with that, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks again.